Hey, DJ, how did you enjoy your 4th of July? It was awesome and terrific. Yes, it was. There's so many movies out during this summertime. What do you want to watch? The Flash? Nah, I heard that was garbage. Indiana Jones 5? Nah, I heard that was garbage. Transformers Rise of the Beasts? Nah, I heard that was garbage. Screw it, let's just watch The Big Lebowski for the billionth time. Woohoo! We're a couple of guys who like to watch movies. Cinema nerds who made it our duty to make a show where we break down, discuss, and review. We're the men who watch movies. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Men Who Watch Movies. My name is Alec. And my name's DJ the Movie Man Wagner, also known as COE of The Men Who Watch Movies. Oh my god. And with me the is the Vice President of Editing. Would you welcome El Castrojon? Hello, everybody. Uh, we're always as rambunctious as usual. Uh, it's great to be back for another episode. Uh, today, we're going to talk about one of our favorite movies of all time. We've been meaning to do this for a while. We actually recorded an episode, um, you know, but, uh, you know, things happen. We didn't get a chance to put it out for you, but we're going to talk about The Big Lebowski. It actually celebrated its, uh, uh, what is it, the, it celebrated its anniversary, its 25th anniversary, um, you know, back in March. Uh, so now we're going to talk about it. Um, you know, like I said, there's not too, there's there's movies coming out, but uh, you know, the, the, nothing that interests me. You know, um, they're not just they're not hitting right. So we're going to talk about a classic, a cult classic. Um, you know, a movie that's just it's so memorable, uh, so funny. Uh, one of my favorites. Would you say it's one of your favorites? Oh yeah, it is one of my favorites, and it is awesome. Definitely, definitely, but. Before we get into all that, we're going to do what we always do. Talk about this crazy industry that we love so much. This week in Movie News. Cue that intro. All right, all right, all right. This week in Movie News, we have a lot of great stuff for you. Our first bit of movie news. Indiana Jones 5 opens to massively disappointing box office. What do you think about that? Uh, that's a little different because, you know, I, I sometimes I hear, you know, movies doing good in theaters. But, um, yeah, I heard that it didn't do too well in theaters. I saw it anyway. What did you think of it? It was awesome. Yeah, you liked it? I heard people, you know, said it dragged a bit in the beginning. Uh, use of... Um, you know, CGI Harrison Ford uh, was, you know, not, you know, it didn't hit quite right. I don't know. Um, what do you think about them, like, de-aging, using that de-aging technology? It's awesome. You like it? I, I don't mind it, but um, I feel like when they use it too much, uh, you know, it, it just kind of it doesn't sit well with me. Um, you know, I, I don't mind if they use it, like, you know, at some the beginning of, like, Marvel movies, sometimes they'll show it for, like, a few minutes. But I heard, like, a, a huge portion of the beginning... <laughs> Had a lot of de-aged Harrison Ford. It was really awkward because um, he still had his old man voice and whatnot. Um, I don't know. Uh, but overall, it doesn't seem to be doing too well 
uh, with audiences. Uh, as of Sunday morning, it is projected to reach a three-day total of $60 million. Uh, This is far below the movie's original projections, landing even lower than Lucasfilm's 2018 flop, Solo, A Star Wars Story, uh, which opened with a three-day total of $84.4 million. Um, and it reportedly has a budget of $329 million. Uh, and then they said it's highly unlikely uh, that they're going to break even, let alone generate any sort of profit. So, um, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, I think it's time that they start thinking of new properties to put out. Uh, I don't know. Indiana Jones isn't. I feel like it's not. It's not hitting with this current generation. Um, what do you? What, what's your opinion on that? Why do I you think, think that- it didn't do well? Oh no! I think it was um, something about the uh, CGI, the aging, whatnot, and of course, this is Harrison Ford's last movie. So, um, you know, this is the last movie. So, what projects will he do next? I don't know. I mean, we know he's going to be in the uh, the newest Captain America movie. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else he has going for him. Oh yeah, he he's going to be in the cap. He's going to be in Captain America four. So. That's going to be awesome. He's confirmed to be General Ross. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, I heard that uh, he's inspired, um, what's his name, Tom Cruise, uh, to do the Mission Impossible movies into his 80s. Um, because he's, you know, he's like, he's looking at Harrison Ford. He's looking at, he's still doing the action thing, you know, in, in you know, at his age. He's like, I want to keep doing uh, Mission Impossible and playing Ethan Hunt. Uh, you know, just as long. So <laughs> we'll see. I have a feeling we'll be seeing a lot of a lot more Mission Impossible because of this. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's sad. Uh, you know, it's Harrison Ford's last outing as this character, and uh, you know, it had a very unceremonious response in theaters. So I don't know. I, I still want to check it out. I heard good things about the latter half of the movie uh, that really picks up, but it's it's just not quite as thrilling as the the initial. You know movies in the, the you know like the, the first movies like the trilogy um i don't know so but you know i i do want to check it out so maybe i will go see it eventually uh or maybe i'll wait for streaming you know our next bit of movie news uh greta gerwig is to direct two narnia movies for netflix uh, have you seen the uh the original narnia movies that they put out the black and white one or the the Recent one. The, was there a black and white one? I don't know. I'm I so don't know, but uh, um, there was a uh, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, I believe. That would yeah, I remember that. They did a few um, movies, you know, back in the 2000s. Uh, they did the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think they did Prince Caspian and whatever. I don't know what other ones they did. Uh, I saw the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was pretty good, and. Um, I don't know, but uh, that that the whole series eventually kind of fizzled out. Now it looks like I don't know if this is going to be a reboot or if they're going to do some of the books that they hadn't touched on yet. I mean, it's not going to. I don't think it's going to include any of the original cast. Obviously, they're older now, but uh, we'll see what this entails. I do love Greta Gerwig. Uh, you know, I, I like Lady Bird. That movie. I don't know if you've seen Lady Bird. It was a good movie. It had Saoirse Ronan in it. Um, and I'm interested in seeing the new Barbie movie. <laughs> it just looks so wacky. Uh, not, normally, not an IP that I, you know I. I found interesting, but just the movie itself seems so interesting. I got to go check it out. What do you, what, what's your opinion on that? Are you going to check it out? Oh, I'm, I, I just might. Yes. And then, of course, there's the big rivalry going on 
uh, between Barbie and what's it called Oppenheimer. It's going to come out like I believe on the same day. So, um, you know. And yeah, that's the you know, they're total polar opposite movies, so I think that makes it much more of uh, funny rivalry. But I do want to see Oppenheimer as well, so I'll go check that out as uh, as well. So do I. Yeah, I heard that they're going to use like they're going to use like um like real explosions from like back in the day. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know everyone's like, joking that they're going to original footage. I believe that they are. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure, but I saw the trailer. It looks really, really awesome from what yeah. I just saw. You know, you got Cillian Murphy playing Oppenheimer. Um, Matt Damon's in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's a star-studded cast. I think, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. I mean, it's going to have everybody. And, uh, yeah, like, as we know, Nolan is big on practical effects. So I'm interested to see how he did the nuclear explosion. People are joking that he's going to set off a real nuke. But, obviously, that's not the case. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, I'm curious about that. I want to see it in IMAX. See it in its full glory all right all right all right next bit of movie news remember barney the dinosaur oh yeah i remember it <laughs> apparently uh daniel kalua's live action he's making a live action barney movie but it's not going to be what you think uh his live action barney movie is going to be about millennial angst so it's going to be a different take on the character uh it's going to be have some kind of like deep meaning to it apparently it's going to be interesting um now uh Daniel Kaluuya set to star in and produce the film. Uh, and Mattel Films described it as an A24 type film with a tonal twist. So th- that's going to be interesting. <laughs> what do you think about that? It's going to be different. But yeah. uh, I had no idea they were going to do a live action Barney movie. What if it's going to be? I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like it's almost going to be like a thriller or something. I don't know. I don't know what to expect from it. I mean, it's not a horror movie like we've seen with. Um, Winnie the Pooh and whatnot, but it's it sounds like it's going to be something with a lot of deep meaning and I don't know. It sounds interesting. I don't know. We'll have to see more. Um, hopefully, a trailer you know drops in the near future. Then we get a little peek into what <laughs> what they have in mind. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I got to check this one out. All right, all right, all right. Next bit of movie news. Of course, the writer strike is still going on, and apparently, the Actors Guild is one step closer to a historic industry-wide strike as the negotiation deadline looms. Uh oh. What do you think? Oh, it's uh very, very different. You know, I I hope it resolves. Yeah, I hope they were able to come to an agreement. Hope they come to an agreement so we can so they can get back on track, make more movies, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean the Writers Guild strike has been, um, you know, going on since May, early May. Um, While talks of an Actors Guild strike began swirling in early June, uh, so now looks like it's it's a high possibility. So I mean, this is going to be you know devastating for the for the whole movie industry. They have the writers and the actors on strike. Um, I mean, nothing's going to get done. I mean, but you know, if they have to do what's necessary to get paid what they deserve, you know. So we'll we'll see. But this is unprecedented. I don't know if I don't know if this has ever happened where both of them are on strike at the same time. I mean, um, I mean, the whole industry is going to come to a halt, which which kind of you know sucks for the people who are involved in the production, like the you know the caterers and the you know the gaffers and the lighters and the crew behind the scenes. You know they're going to be out of work too, so it sucks. So the, hopefully they can come to uh, come to some sort of agreement. Um, you know sooner than later. That's all I can say. I don't know anything about this. Uh, you know we're not we're not technically versed in all this stuff. So you know 
hopefully, hopefully it all works out. That's all I can wish for. Correct? That's correct. correct. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, is what it is. You know, art yeah. imitates life and life imitates art. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know if that applies in this scenario, but sure. All right. All right. All right. Our next bit of movie news. Uh, reportedly Disney is leading the 2023 box office despite all the underwhelming blockbusters. Of course, like we mentioned, Indiana Jones didn't do well. Uh, they had their, uh, I think we talked about it in our last movie news, uh, their Pixar movie Elemental didn't do well. You know, they had a bunch of other stuff that didn't, didn't hit the mark. Uh, but they are still leading the box office, which is, which is not surprising because they own like most, <laughs> most like properties, a lot of the big movie properties, they own that. So, I mean, when you have a monopoly, it's not hard to be number one. Well, what's your opinion on this? It's going to be different, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Elemental didn't do well in theaters. I'm pretty sure they're going to put on Disney Plus. Besides, you know, here, um, the new Indiana Jones movie, um, The Dial of Destiny, I, it didn't do well in theaters. So I guess it's going to, you know be put on Disney plus. Oh yeah. It'll go on streaming eventually. I mean, they'll, they'll definitely get some revenue from that. But I mean, like I said, it's just, it's just weird. Cause like they're, they're not making what they should at the box office, yet they're still on top. Like I said, it's just all numbers game. Like when you own a lot of, you know, you know, a lot of the, the, the products that they're putting out, you, of course you're going to, you're going to be on top. Um, it's all about, it's all about like, you know, owning, <laughs> a good portion of those, uh, those, those theater slots. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how they're making their money at this point. But individually the movies, you know, they need to focus more on quality, uh, or otherwise, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be number one eventually. So I don't know, hopefully they're able to get out of the slump. Uh, but this, this could be bad news. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we see more. Uh, independent studios, you know, coming up with some interesting stuff. Cause right now it's, it's a lot of like sequels and franchises and, and rebirths and reboots and this and that. And another thing I want, I want to see some fresh material. Would you agree? Exactly. I yes. really want to see some fresh material, some new stuff. Um, same thing with Daredevil born again. I really want to see what they're going to do to the story. Cause I'm really, really excited. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, um, the Disney's quality hasn't been there as of late. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. All right, all right, all right. A next bit of movie news. Rachel Goldberg, known for her TV work uh, such as Resident Evil and American Gods, is making her directorial debut with a movie called The BM. Now, when I saw it, I was like, <laughs> I bet it's, you know, that it sounds like bowel movement. But it is. It stands for the bowel movement. Uh, apparently, it's an co- action comedy from Mara Vista Entertainment. Uh, written by Family Guy uh, writers uh, Sean Wrights and Artie jo- uh, Johan, I think. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Hopefully, I didn't butcher it. Um, uh, the story centers on a young woman's desperate search for a bathroom that gets her inadvertently caught up in a bizarre heist in Los Angeles with her best friend. So it's all about trying to take a poop and getting into a wacky adventure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see this coming. I just, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if this, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but I mean, if this is, this is, um, what, uh, you know, Hollywood is coming up with nowadays. I don't know. I don't know. That is one big pile of shit. Uh, 
I don't know. Well, let's, let's keep our expectations low and maybe it'll surprise us. But um, the BM, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, hopefully it's not a BM in and of itself. All right, all right, all right. Moving on, moving on. Uh, apparently they're making a Bob Marley biopic, One Love. And it has been revealed that Kingsley Ben Adir is going to star as the legendary musician. Now, when I first it read makes the, sense. Yeah, when I first read the headline, I, I misread it as Ben Kingsley. And I was like, oh, no, that's not going to end well for Ben Kingsley playing uh, Bob Marley. But luckily, I read it wrong, and it's uh, Kingsley Ben Adir. Um, he looks good. Uh, he looks the part. So hopefully, I uh, wonder if he's a singer as well. I'm, I'm not too familiar with this actor. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't know. Biopics are kind of hit and miss. So hopefully they do a good job. Hopefully it breaks the mold of that, that formulaic biopic. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, uh, the, the one that, you know, the kind of format that Dewey Cox made fun of so well, uh, that it kind of ruined all the biopics that have come out since, uh, especially, you know, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I actually enjoyed. Um, you know, a lot of people make fun of it for being so formulaic that it pretty much mirrors Dewey Cox uh, and their lampooning of the whole kind of format. Um, so hopefully it breaks free of that mold. Kind of something kind of like uh, Rocket Man. It, it really broke free of that and it kind of did its own thing. Very, you know, tonally interesting and um, bounced back and forth between like musical-esque and fantasy and storytelling and all that stuff. So hopefully they're able to do something interesting with that. Um, are you a fan of biopics? Oh yeah, they're, they're very, very interesting. You know, the more I see it, the more I'm interested in, you know, biopics, see what they're coming up with, you know, fresh ideas, you know, this and that, you know, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, one of my favorite movies, you know, very, very awesome, you know, Rami Malek, you know, knocked yeah. that one out of the park. Yeah, I think he makes the movie, like, without... Without Rami Malek and his dedication in playing Freddie Mercury, I don't think it would have been as good of a movie. But, uh, but yeah, that's just my opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. Our next bit of movie news. There's some Barbie controversy. Apparently, um, the upcoming Barbie movie has found itself in some uncharted controversy. Um, now, Warner Brothers' uh, new film based on the you know the iconic toy line has been banned in Vietnam over the appearance of a controversial map. According to the distributor, uh, the film was not trying to make any kind of statement, but uh, apparently uh, there was like a drawing of a map and it may have depicted uh, what's, what's called the nine dash line, uh, which refers to a set of line segments on the map meant to indicate China's territorial claims in the South China Sea, uh, claims which Vietnam disputes uh, and believes that it violates the sovereignty of the country. Uh, now Warner Brothers is saying, you know, the, this was just a doodle map, meant, not meant to depict anything in real life. Uh, so apparently the movie has been banned in Vietnam because of its depiction of that line. I don't know. It's a, it's a whole mess. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about this? <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Huh? It's very, very um, ridiculous. And yet I never heard of this. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's 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 hard when you when you market your movies internationally. You have to consider everyone, um, you know, everyone's standpoints and things that may be you know deemed inappropriate by them. I uh, you know that's it's, it's always a constant case when they're marketing movies like China, for instance. You know, they can't have any depictions of like spiritual beings or creatures. That's why it was hard to market 
like the Ghostbusters movies out there because you can't have that any of that and stuff like that. So it's really weird uh, when you start dealing with international markets. And apparently, this is something they didn't account for. I don't know if they, you know, they actually intended to include that little dotted line or not. But apparently, it uh, caused some controversy. So hopefully, hopefully, um, I don't know. I don't know if they plan on changing it. Uh, to regain that market or whatnot, but we'll see. We'll see what they do going forward. Maybe they'll edit a version just for Vietnam. I don't know. All right, all right, all right. Uh, next bit of movie news: Ryan Reynolds uh, has been revealed in his new costume for Deadpool three. It's a slight alteration on the classic Deadpool look. Um, you know, if you're listening to our podcast, our audio version, uh, you won't be able to see what we're talking about. But go ahead and check it out. It's on the internet everywhere. Uh, I believe it's posted on Twitter. That's, that's where I first saw the picture. Um, but I'm sure you can find it anywhere on the Google. Uh, but it depicts Ryan Reynolds' new suit. It's the classic black and red suit. Um, it's just some slight variation. It looks like they almost took away some detail, but uh, uh, it looks a little more pajama-like, uh, if I will. But I don't know. What do you think about it? his new costume? It looks different. Yeah. Uh, do you like it, or what do you think? Do you like yeah, the original? Yeah, it, it, it's very, very different. I like it. It's a whole new take on Deadpool. Um, is it's this going to be the last one? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But it's uh, interesting. I mean, we're going to get some Hugh Jackman. Like I've mentioned this before, but uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, we get Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. Hopefully, he's in his costume. That's That would be cool. No, yeah. I saw this on a deleted scene... In the Wolverine movie. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking where, about. Where um, Logan is on the airplane and he opens up a suitcase or yeah. something like that. And he opens it up and there's a classic Wolverine look. Yeah, he was gifted his Wolverine suit. And then, of course, we never get to see him in it. They always tease like these cool costumes. And we never get to see him in the costumes. Like the at the end of, um, I forget, one of the X-Men movies. I think it might have been Apocalypse. Uh, they tease the X-Men in like all these accurate looking X-Men costumes and they never wear them again. It just, it was just a tease. Those bastards. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think this Deadpool suit is nice. It's, they simplified some of the look and, uh, it maintains like that overall classic comic book feel. Um, yeah, man, I could dig it. And, uh, this brings a wrap to this week in movie news. Yep. Now let's get on with the show. All right, all right, all right. The Big Lebowski. Uh, what, 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 what did you think the first time that you saw this movie? I thought it was excellent. Most of the times, I thought it was confusing because I didn't know what the plot was. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does uh, get a little so um, different to a whole new meaning. You know, it's an independent film. I understand what, what they were going for. Originally, they had a um, a TV movie, which is so different because they. Um, dialogue was so different you know it was so different from the actual movie that <laughs> it was so different it was like so confusing that i didn't understand it at the so, time. so you're saying the first time you saw it was on tv yeah it's like the tv edit yeah, yeah they, i saw they, the tv edit on youtube they had to cut out a lot of yeah they had to cut a lot of the because there's a lot, gratuitous use of bad words and whatnot uh so they had to chop it up uh, that, that can get confusing sometimes they also have to edit out uh for commercials and whatnot i remember uh, back in the day, my first time seeing the mask was the TV version, and I watched the, you know, the theatrical cut, and I was confused by some of the scenes that were <laughs> missing and how they, add, you know, I thought 
you know, my my viewpoint, they added scenes into the movie when in reality they were taken out for the TV edit. Uh, but yeah, that was interesting. Uh, so I can see how, you know, watching the TV edit can get confusing, especially when they chop up the dialogue to make it appropriate for audiences. But uh, uh, but overall, would you say, did, did, did the movie need to grow on you or did you like it from the beginning? Oh, it was very, very, very good. Very cult classic of the 90s. Very, very um, funny. Um, the casting was terrific. I thought Jeff Bridges was awesome. John Goodman is terrific as, you know, his terrific body of work. You know, his um, acting is so awesome and so funny that back then he was so, you know, very energetic back then. And then nowadays he's... um. Well, I don't know if he's still going to be acting in movies, but... I'm sure he is. There is a possible rumor. I saw this movie called The Gambler, and, of course, he has a shaved head, and it was a nod to the fact that in the future, he might portray himself as Wilson Fisk. And I'm... Well, it's 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 a it's a now I saw this on what? somewhere between you know, um, you know the Wilson Fisk character, and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, so you're saying he might be inspired by Wilson he might Fisk. be inspired. So he's not. He's not. I don't think he's going to play Wilson Fisk. I was, but, you, but but that's I bet you would like to see him play Wilson Fisk. Oh, that would be good because <laughs> no, he would be very awesome. But there's this correlation between you know Vince D'Onofrio. Michael Hart Duncan, um, uh, John Goodman, who has a shaved head in another <laughs> movie. It's very, very different, very, very um, unique. But I, uh, yeah, it was teased by many, many other people. Like, you know, like they were saying, like, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, he could be a really, really good version of Wilson Fisk. I bet you, yeah, I bet he would. Although he, he really played uh, an MCU villain in Obadiah Stane, so. I think he got his fill of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, but yeah, he, he would he would be a good he would be a good Wilson Fisk. Although he's he's not so meaty, you know, like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is meaty, especially nowadays. But no, no, not to not like making fun of it. But anyway, no, 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 not, not to get too off topic here. Uh, but yes, it's such a wonderful cast in the Big Lebowski. Um, you know, you can describe it as an ensemble. And they, they, you know, they they make up the important fabric that 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 you cr- makes up this whole movie into uh, the fantastic cult flick that it is. Um, you know, I, for for me, it took a few watches to kind of get the whole thing. It's like there's subtle nuances to it um, that ne- that needed to grow on me, uh, similar to the way uh, audiences needed it to grow on them. Because when it first came out, it wasn't a big hit. I think it was considered a flop, even if I'm correct, right? Yeah, it was uh, considered a flop, but nowadays when people watch it, they're going to be like, hmm, this is very, very good. Yeah. And, of course, I saw the interview, and it had the host, and it had the actors who were portraying, you know, Donnie and Walter Sobchak, and, of course, the dude portrayed by Jeff Bridges. But I uh, saw the interview, and it was, like, so different. And, you know, their perspective on the movie is that it's awesome, it's terrific, it's a cult classic of the '90s. It's a, uh, you know, awesome. It's funny. It's terrific. It's very, very creative. But there was something about it that was very, very different. Like the scene where uh, John Goodman's character is 
getting a uh, crowbar and whacking the uh, Ferrari. <laughs> and and yeah. and he was nervous, actually. And this was actually in an interview. And he was nervous that they bought the Corvette out of one of the towns. And it was like, you know, like, you know, like he said to himself, like, you know, I'm afraid of hitting this Corvette. And it's like. Because it was uh, such an expensive car. It was so expensive. And <laughs> I have no, I have no idea what happened at the next part of the interview, but I'm pretty, pretty sure that, you know, in this movie version, they were allowed to use so much F-bombs, so much curse words. It was like, you know, I guess they gave them like, you know, like carte blanche. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that must have been fun on set. Just like, just kind of go, you know, go nuts. Although the, you know, the um, Coen brothers are very like specific about what, you know, words people use and whatnot. So there's, there's not really much ad-libbing. So all those F-bombs and stuff were, uh, you know, they had to be in the script, I'm sure. Because uh, they don't like people ad-libbing. In, in, even like the inflection that they use while they're, uh, you know, speaking as the character is all curated by the Coen brothers because they're very sticklers for, uh, you know, the way a scene is read and it has to be the exact dialogue. Uh, although there was uh, like a, like one moment uh, where there was some ad-libbing. Um, but uh, there's very little of that uh, in their movies because uh, they're very specific. But I think that would be kind of hard to be on set where you're not allowed to, ad- allowed to ad-lib. But, I mean, some actors like that. With other actors, they love to, like, kind of add their own flavor. So, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's very, very good. You know, the thing about this, you know, movies nowadays are different. There's reboots. There's sequels. There are different, different stuff. But there is always a correlation to movies like the different stuff about it is that there's always going to be some surprises some different stuff some creative stuff there is always going to be like a, a mixture of um creative stuff and the more i think about it the more they make more movies like this or different movies it'll be a change up to other movies but um yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I think we need more movies like The Big Lebowski because it's like the Coen brothers are so creative. They come up with these stories, even if they're like slightly based off of something. It's it's a new fresh take on, on you know, on that story. And, um, you know, which is something we don't see nowadays. You know, like you're saying, you know, there's so many reboots and, you know, remakes and this and that. Uh, it's it's nice to see a fresh story from some creative filmmakers. Um you know, I, I want more more people like the Coen brothers to come out of the Hollywood machine, you know, or, or at least be separate from the Hollywood machine and whatnot, because um, those are the movies that are the most exciting, at least in my opinion, man. Um, but yeah, even even a, a movie that's based off of something like, you know, the Coen brothers, not to get too off topic, but, you know, they did um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is another one, you know, another great film. Um, they based it off of the Odyssey, was it? Homer and the Odyssey. Yeah, and even then, something like that, they took it and twisted it completely around to where it's almost unrecognizable, but it has that, you know, a, a similar, you know, story thread in it. But, um, you know, they, they they really went creative with it and then set it in a whole different time period, and it was just cre- so creative. Like, uh, Hollywood needs more of that right now. I think, I think that's why people aren't going to theaters and seeing movies, because it's all... It's all just the same crap churned out. We need some creativity. Would Don't you agree? Oh, yes. We do need a lot of creativity. We need a lot of new stuff. Um, think about this is so different. It's fantastic. But, you know, 
think about the stuff, you know, it, the stuff is so awesome that I'm so excited what they're gonna make next. Like, you know, I am so thrilled about the stuff, but, you know, like I'm saying, you know, um, if they are gonna, you know, pursue this uh, Daredevil Born Again, I don't know what story they're gonna <laughs> use. Um, but, you, you know, just want to talk Marvel. it's very, very awesome <laughs> that they're trying new stuff. Uh, we don't know what direction they're going to go in, but we are very glad that Charlie Cox is reprising his role as Definitely. Daredevil. We are super surprised that Vincent D'Onofrio is portraying his character called Kingpin, which I back. find that this is awesome. Yes, yeah, I'm glad he came back. Uh, but not to get too off topic here. Uh, so the movie uh, the movie starts, uh, takes place in Los Angeles, California, as the... Uh, the great uh, stranger played by Sam Elliott. Sam El- the great Sam Elliott, epic mustache. Uh, Sam Elliott. Uh, he he he's, he he calls it Los Angeles. Um, and now we see a tumbleweed blowing through town. Uh, I feel like that's very representative of what the dude is. He's just like a tumbleweed blowing through life. Would you say? Yeah, he's almost like a tumbleweed, you know, that represents him, you know. He's a very, like, um, laid-back lifestyle, kind of... He's laid-back, he's very, very, you know, different. There's a scene in the movie where he's at Ralph's, and he's picking up, like, a, a carton of milk, and he, uh, you know, writes a check for, like... Oh, the half-and-half, half? yeah. For half-and-half, and, half and, uh, <laughs> the cashier is like, okay, yeah, he, he writes a check for 69 cents. It's funny because, like, he's so broke. He post-states a check uh, for 69 cents for, like, a whole year. Uh, a lot of people have, like, a conspiracy theory that he's trying to warn us about, like, 9-11 because um, uh, obviously the, mov- the movie takes place in 1990, um, and he post-states the check uh, to, to September 11th, 1991, which is... T- uh, 10 years before the terrorist attacks in New York. Uh, so there's some like conspiracy theory that they're trying to like signal to us that something was going to happen or something. I don't know. When, when, when did the movie actually come out? Cause I know it, it came was, out in 1998, 1990. Okay. So yeah, it was, yeah, it takes place earlier than it was actually filmed, but uh, yeah, yeah and it some... had a, a reference to a uh, George Bush senior. Yeah. That's another thing too. Uh, George Bush senior is talking about, uh, Iraq invading Kuwait or whatever, and he's like, this aggression will not stand, and it's and it's weird too because you know not only did he write nine, you know, like a supposed you know reference to the upcoming nine eleven terror attacks, then you have uh, you know Daddy Bush on TV, you know, talking about you know Kuwait and Iraq and all that stuff. So uh, there, people like to make their connections and conspiracy things and whatnot. But uh, I mean, it, it is interesting, uh, but not to get too off topic on that. Yeah, so we see. Uh, the dude write a post data check uh, to buy his half and half, um, and he's just drinking it out of the carton and whatnot. Uh, like I said, very very laid back and whatnot. Um, then he goes home and then he gets attacked. Uh, that was a very surprising scene to see that guy when he turns on the light in his room. Uh, we see the guy uh, hiding uh, right behind him, and then they uh, they attack him. There's a couple of guys looking for some money because apparently they say uh, that he owes. He owes money. Um, what do you think about that, man? What do you think about that scene when they when they raid his house and they start beating him? Very, up? very surprising. You know, very, oh. very surprising. <laughs> you know, a little different and whatnot. But um, yeah, you know, that was uh kind of surprising. But you know, it was like 
you know, edgy, very, very different, you know. Yeah. All I could think is pink eye uh, when they shoved uh, the dude's head in the toilet. Uh, there's probably some poo particles. <laughs> not, not to get too graphic, but uh, I'm, I mean, hopefully he didn't get pink eye. Uh, I mean, at least it was his poo. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're looking for, they said that uh, Bunny, uh, Bunny owes someone some money. And so they're, they're there to collect. Uh, but they have the wrong Lebowski. Apparently there's another Lebowski floating around. Uh, he's also a Jeffrey Lebowski. Although our Jeffrey Lebowski, blah, 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 our Jeffrey Lebowski goes by the dude. And there's another Jeffrey Lebowski. Uh, who's supposedly a rich guy whose wife owes some money. Uh, and they keep mentioning, you know, your wife owes money for to Jackie Treehorn, and uh, we're here to collect and whatnot. They say you're good for it. And he's like, do I look like a married man? And he's like, look at the toilet seat's up. Do I, do I look like I have a wife? Do you see a friggin' ring on my finger? No. Uh, and then slowly they realize they have the wrong guy. Uh, but not for, for one of the guys who uh, the, the dude refers incorrectly as uh, the Chinaman. Uh, pees on his rug and uh, ruins his day because that rug really tied the room together, man. Uh, I love that. I love that phrase. Yeah, uh, it was very <laughs> funny. The dialogue is so funny and so creative that, you know, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, the story has a lot of twists and turns. Oh, yeah. A little different stuff, you know, very, very surprising stuff. Um, still a lot of, you know, humor, classic stuff. It's just so funny. You know, you got a lot of terrific casting, which is so awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> so they realize that they have the wrong guy and then they leave. I love that part when that guy, he's like looking at the bowling ball and then, uh, you know, one of the, one of the people, uh, beating up, uh, the dude and he's like, well, what the heck is this? And he's like, <laughs> and then the dude jokes at him. He's like, obviously you're not a golfer. And, and the guy just drops the bowling ball in his bathroom tile and it cracks it. He's like, Hey, I think we have the wrong guy. And then they leave. Uh, and then, and then we, we meet the rest of the dude's friends. Uh, of course the great John Goodman as Walter Subcheck and, uh, Steve Buscemi as Donnie, <laughs> poor Donnie. He's always getting shit on the whole movie. Uh, he can't get a word in a word in edgewise. Apparently that was supposed to be a reference to his character in, um, Fargo, how he was always talking, talking nonstop. And then in this movie, uh, his character Donnie can't get a word in edgewise. Anytime he mentions anything uh, and tries to chime in on the conversation, uh, what does Walter always say? Donnie, you're out of your element. Yeah, he's always shut the f up, Donnie. Every like other sentence, shut the f up, Donnie. You don't know what you're you know what you're talking about. Uh, it's it's. I feel bad for him, but you know that's just his character. Uh, Walter Subcheck is he's one heck of a character. Um, John Goodman plays him so perfectly. Uh, apparently, he was based off of. Uh, and John Milius, uh, a real Hollywood guy who uh, was, you know, very right wing, very uh, gun nut. Um, and uh, interesting thing about Walter Sobchak, in the initial uh, draft of the script, uh, he was supposed to be like faking that he was in Vietnam, but um, they never uh, ended up using that in the story. So as far as we know, he's a Vietnam veteran. Of course, he's uh, divorced. Uh, when he married his wife, he convert, he converted over to Judaism, and so he's uh, he's very uh, versed in in in, uh, in the Jewish you know religion, and uh, you know he's 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 very strict about following those rules and whatnot as we see in the movie, uh, and of course um, you know 
the dude is talking to them about how everything that transpired and how he's pissed that his rug got peed on by the Chinaman. And uh, I like how Walter corrects him. He's like, dude, uh, Chinaman's not the preferred nomenclature. It's Asian American. Uh, but um, he's trying to tell him that, hey, this guy's not the real problem. You need to go talk to this Jeff for the Abowski character about, you know, your rug. You know, and maybe he can reimburse you for the rug because it's his fault. His wife, Bunny, uh, you know, owes money all over town. And then they come to your house, you know, breaking your stuff. You need to go see this Jeffrey Lebowski guy. And so um, that's that's the next thing he does. He goes uh, to set up a meeting with the big Lebowski, who the, you know, the movie is titled after. Uh, you would normally think that. Uh, the big Lebowski would refer to the dude, but it's actually referring to the the Mr. Lebowski, the rich, the rich guy um, who they're going to go see next. So he goes to uh, have a meeting. And of course, we see uh, his assistant. What is his assistant's name? Brant. Brant played played by the great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he's so great. Uh, I miss him. But uh, he uh, he's such a great actor. Uh, and then he plays this. Uh, Brant guy is, is such a neurotic uh, character. He always has he has such a great nervous laugh. Uh, he's showing uh, the dude around uh, Mr. Lebowski's mansion and all the the great philanthropic stuff that he's done. And uh, yeah, he's just looking around, and then finally he has his meeting with Mr. Lebowski, who, who he's not having any of it. He's not having any of it. Uh, apparently, the dude's trying to tell him you know everything that went down he's like you told him on the phone and he told me what where do i fit in like he he fails to see how he has any like responsibility in the situation and the dude just saying like i want I, you know i want i want my rug replaced but yeah uh, he he's he he doesn't think he has any responsibility whatsoever he tries to bring up how his wife owes money he's like you you basically keep your wife's name out your fucking mouth no he didn't say that but uh yeah, he didn't slap him either, but he basically told him to get out that, you know, every, every bum's, uh, you know, lot in life is his own problem and that, you know, you know, you need to stop looking for a handout and get a job like your parents did. And he berates him uh, because he notices that he has a very slovenly laid back lifestyle. Uh, he even questions, questions if he has a job and whatnot. Uh, and of course he doesn't. But uh, uh, so he, you know, the dude just like, whatever, man. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's your whole, you know, philosophy in life. You get out of here, you bum. And he kicks him out. And I like how the dude uh, tricks uh, his assistant into giving him the rug. He's like, yeah, the old man said I could take any rug in the house. Uh, fortunately, later on, we find that rug has some significance uh, to a daughter of Mr. Lebowski. But uh, we'll get into that later. Um, and then as he's leaving, he meets the infamous bunny, who, the one who owes money all over town. And, um, you know, she's quite a character. Uh, and then she... Quite uh, a character. Very, yeah, played very... by Tara Reid. Uh, initially, uh, supposedly, they were looking at Charlize Theron to play that, uh, to play Bunny. Ooh. But uh, I think Tara Reid uh, captures a more uh, kind of carefree, bubblehead kind of uh, character that Bunny is. So I think that was... Uh, not, not saying that Tara Reid is bubble-headed or whatever. But uh, she play, she's good at playing that kind of character. Uh, but yeah. And then, so we see Tara Reid and she's talking with the dude for a little bit. She even offers to do some kind of uh, sex act for $1,000. Unorthodox stuff. <laughs> and uh, I love, uh, I love um, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's reaction to it. He just like has a nervous <laughs> laugh, where he's like laughing, and he like he's him breathing through his nose as he laughs all nervously and whatnot. I, I just yeah, he's such a funny character. Uh, but yeah, he leaves, and uh, yeah, eventually, you know, he thinks everything's kind of resolved. He got the rug that he wanted and whatnot. But as we learn, yeah, everything is just getting started. So eventually, uh, we see the whole gang uh, back at the bowling alley. This is one of my favorite scenes. Uh, they show up, and um, uh, Walter he brings his uh, ex-wife's dog. He's apparently he's taking care of it, and he feels some sort of responsibility for his ex-wife's dog. Uh, he, he claims it's some sort of pomeranian like show dog, but I don't think it's a pomeranian. It looks like something else. Um, but then the dude's like make, uh, making fun of him. He's like, "Why are you taking care of your ex-wife's dog, man? Why'd you bring it bowling?" And then uh, I like uh, Walter's response. He's like, I didn't bring it bowling. I didn't rent it shoes. It's not taking your freaking turn. Like, uh, you know, but I don't know. He, I like that bit of characterization for Walter. Cause even though he's like this very like extreme guy, he seems like he's very quick to anger. And then he's, he's very like gun nut right wing type guy. Uh, he still takes the time to uh, help out his ex-wife and whatnot, where the dude is just like, uh, you know, if, if she told me to do that, I would tell her to F off, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? That, uh, you know, Walter that taking care of scene is so funny. <laughs> yeah. I like it. But I like his response. He's like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, it's not bowling. It's not taking your turn. <laughs> um, yeah. And then finally, we see um, a guy named Smokey. Uh, he's playing against... Uh, you know, the dude and Co's league and uh, Walter uh, believes he stepped over the line. And, uh, you know, Walter's a man of, 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 of rules. And so uh, he says one of the best lines in the whole movie. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I only one who gives a shit about the rules? I think I'm kidding around market zero. <laughs> he literally pulls out a gun on the guy. Uh, he has it like hidden in, in in his bowling bag, and then Smokey's taken back. Uh, he's he's trying to say like, no, 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 I, 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 you know, I didn't step over, and um, you know, and then uh, the dude just like, hey man, just it's just cool it, man. He's like, no, this is a league game. There are rules, and I think he makes a comment earlier on where he's like, this isn't nom, uh, this is bowling. There are rules. <laughs> uh, I thought that was hilarious, but um, but yeah, he freaks out on him, and then. Eventually, Smokey relents, marks at zero, but uh, afterwards, he ends up calling the cops. Uh, so by the time the guys bounce, they you see the cops show up behind him. Uh, but that, yeah, the whole scene is just freaking hilarious. The, the guy is, like, nuts. Um, but anyway, uh, the dude back at home, the dude, he's doing some kind of, like, uh, weird yoga or something, right, on his new rug, drinking his white Russians. Uh, uh, just before that, though, he, he sees his landlord, Reminding him he has to pay rent, and then he invites him to some weird like um, art, like performance or something like that, which we see later in the movie. Uh, I don't know why this was included in the in the movie, but it's like I said, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't uh, have any importance to the to the plot, um, but it's it's just funny characterization and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, he invites uh, you know the dude in the gang to see his his art performance, uh, and then um, like I said, the dude's doing some weird like yoga tai chi thing and then he gets some messages uh we, we actually get a message from Smokey, and then i think the the head of the bowling league about the walter incident uh where he pulled out the gun and then we also hear uh from uh rich lebowski uh his assistant's calling uh saying that they need to speak with him right away at first he doesn't answer because i think he thinks it's about stealing his rug earlier uh but then um but then Brant informs him, no, this is, you know, if you're worried about the rug, this is like, you know, this isn't about this. Uh, we need your help. So finally 
he uh, agrees to go see um, the Big Lebowski. And it turns out that his wife, Bunny, has been kidnapped, supposedly. Um, and then the, uh, the kidnappers are looking for a ransom. The dude's like, man, that's a bummer, man. Personally, if it was me, I've been like, screw off. You know, you didn't, you didn't want to help me earlier. Why would I want to help you? Uh, but the dude decides to help uh, for one reason or another. And the Mr. Lebowski is, is going to give him some money uh, for helping out. So basically, he's going to be the drop-off man, right? So it, yep. Ow, I hit my headphones on the thing, uh, on the mic. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, so the dude's going to basically act as like the drop-off man. And so that's his job. Uh, but as we see, the situation's more complicated than it seems. But we'll, we'll get into all that later. After his meeting with uh, Mr. Lebowski, uh, we see him back at the bowling alley. They love their bowling. Um, so uh, that's when uh, the dude's talking with Walter about the whole situation going on. Uh, and then, like I said, the dude has some, uh, he's, you know, he has some uh, inkling suspicion that uh, the whole thing is, is wrong. Uh, he thinks that Bunny may have kidnapped herself and it's a whole cash grab. Uh, so he's like, you know, he's suspicious. And then Walter agrees with him, uh, even more so than the dude at some point, because um, uh, uh, they're debating on whether to keep that million dollars or not. And uh, Walter uh, decides to enact a plan. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, but in the meantime, we meet uh, one of the most wackiest characters uh, of all time. The Jesus, played by the great John Turturro. What do you think about this character? <laughs> But he was very, very funny. He's so weird. Um, I think uh, John Turturro has said himself that he, he never really got the character and he was kind of, uh, he never really understood it. Uh, but later on, you know, the character became so memorable because uh, he was allowed to put that that kind of spin on that character, that kind of, that, that flavor to him and whatnot. Uh, I wonder if he was like hesitant about liking the character because according to, uh, to Walter, he, uh, he was, you know, charged as a sex offender. Uh, he spent some time in prison for exposing himself to an eight year old. So it makes sense that he wouldn't initially having liked played that character. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and which is funny because later on, I think in the, there's a spinoff movie, the Jesus rolls, um, I think he, he made it so that way the character of the Jesus was framed and he didn't really expose himself to an eight-year-old. So I think it's very convenient that he changed the character later on uh, to have not been really that way. So I don't know. I guess uh, there's, if there's anything you can say about the character is that the, the creep knows how to roll. So anyway, uh, later on he has an encounter with uh, the dude and, and uh, Walter and Donnie saying that he's going to he's basically going to F them up. He's going to, you know, beat them at the tournament. And he's threatening uh, Walter uh, that if he tries to pull any of that crap, he's going to, you know, basically uh, stick the gun up his butt and pull the trigger until it goes click, 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 uh, which is uh, weird because like you think that Walter would have some kind of response to that, but he just kind of sits there uh, bewildered. Uh, he's like the only character that the, the Walter doesn't uh, go off on, which is weird. I think he would have, uh, he would have read him the riot act on that one, but uh, I don't know. What do you think? Why, why do you? Th why don't you think Walter uh, cursed him out know. or something? I don't know, but it's like so different. The dialogue is so funny. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hilarious. But um, yeah, de definitely a memorable character. And then uh, later on, after they're done bowling, uh, you know, the, the back at the dude's house, he's just chilling on his rug, listening to his headphones, uh, and all of a sudden, like three people appear above him. One of them. Is uh, Julianne Moore's character Maude Lebowski, who's the daughter of uh, Mr. Lebowski, right? Yep. 
and uh, he gets knocked the F out and has a really memorable dream sequence uh, where he's flying over the town. Uh, they, they, they look pretty good, um, especially for being like 90, 1998, you said it was 1998? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what did you think about those dream sequences? I thought they were so creative. They were funny, very, very different, very, very out of character, but uh, yeah, you know, they're so, so funny that, uh, yeah, they're... they're they're full of humor, full yeah. of creative stuff. It's funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, I thought that was great. He's just like flying over the city, and then you see Maud uh, floating away on the on his carpet. Uh, you know, like like she's freaking Aladdin or something. Um, and then he like drops out of the sky and ends up getting run over by a bowling ball. It's a, it's such creative visuals. I love it. Um, then he awakes to the rug uh, missing so his his. Uh, his rug that he stole from from Mr. Lebowski has been stolen back. Uh, and later we find out why, but uh, you know there's some significance to that rug for a mod. Uh, but yeah, poor dude, he can't catch a break. He just wants to roll. He just, he just wants to roll and uh, you know smoke pot, and drink some white Russians, but uh, he can't catch a break, man. Uh, and none of it was his fault. You know, he just he was just chilling one day, and someone showed up and peed on his rug and started this crazy crazy spiral of adventures. So in the movie, the dude, um, I forgot to mention that earlier, but he got a uh, pager uh, when he went to meet with Mr. Lebowski. Brant gave him a pager, so uh, that way they can contact him about the drop-off situation. Uh, then he gets paged. Uh, so he goes, and Brant gives him a uh, like a portable phone, right? It's like this huge, like... Um, a brick phone? It's like this huge, yeah, brick phone type of thing. Like something you'd see in like the 80s and whatnot. I mean, it's the early 90s, so... It's 19, I think it's supposed to be 1990, right? Um, so, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. So he has, like, this huge uh, portable phone with him, and he gives him the uh, briefcase with the money in it. And, um, you know, so he informs him that, you know, he needs to wait for a call uh, from the kidnappers uh, so they can, you know, learn of the location of the drop-off. And, he's, and he, like, reinforces, like, you know, uh, Mr. Lebowski told me to tell you several times that her life is in your hands. Her life is in your hands, so don't screw this up. Um, and he was supposed to go alone, but of course he involves Walter, because Walter has the brilliant plan of switching out uh, the bag, or the briefcase, and then um, keeping the million dollars. Because uh, they suspect, like I said earlier, that uh, Bunny isn't really in danger. Uh, and Walter doubles down on that notion, even though the dude has some hesitation. He had some, you know, he had he had a, he had a thought that maybe, maybe she was faking it. But uh, you know, Walter is one hundred percent certain, and so um, he goes to pick up Walter. I guess he runs some kind of like security business, right? Um, and then he goes to pick up Walter, and he brings a bag of what? Dirty undies. <laughs> Yeah, apparently he brought like his dirty underwears, all his white laundry, even had some of his socks in there. He brought it in a bowling bag, I think it was, or some kind of leather bag. And he calls it the ringer, and he's he's going to swap it out for the cash. So he's going to throw that uh, to the uh, to the kidnappers instead of the briefcase with the money in, and and, and they're going to keep uh, they're going to keep the uh, million dollars for themselves. And the dude's like, no, we can't do that. You know, they're going to kill her, man. He's like, I thought you said, uh, you know, she wasn't actually kidnapped, that she kidnapped herself. He's like, well, I just thought that, but we don't know for certain. And, uh, you know, but Walter is 100% certain that this is the right thing to do. Uh, so eventually uh, they get a call from the kidnappers and they get weirded out at first because they hear Walter on the other end. And eventually they give them the location of the drop off, which is like a bridge. 
they thought there was going to be a, like a physical handoff, but it turns out they just wanted to throw it out the window. Uh, I don't know Walter's planning here, or what do you think? What was what do you think Walter's plan was? Because everything just goes haywire. I just think it was so so funny. I didn't know what he was going to do, but like, what do you think his, was his intention with this with this plan? Because I know he wanted to switch out the money for the dirty undies, but why the Uzi? Why the tuck and roll out of the car? I don't know. Maybe for dramatic effect. I guess, but like, what did he, did he want to get in a gun battle with these guys? I thought they were just going to swap out the money, but uh, he decides that he he brings an Uzi and like a like wrapped in like brown paper, and uh, so he throws out the the uh, the the bag with his dirty undies in it, much to uh, the dude's chagrin, because at this point the dude is freaking out and he wants to just give him the money and be done with it. Uh, so Walter throws the money. Or the not the money. He throws the bag with his undies at the uh, the bridge, hoping that the guys would pick it up. But then he decides, and he 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 makes the dude take the wheel. He jumps out of the car, does a tuck and roll with the the Uzi, and the Uzi falls out of the car, accidentally gets set off, and then shoots the tires of the dude's car. Um, and then the dude's car crashes, and then this is this is a big mess. Like I don't know what his plan was in that, but he totally just screwed it up. Not very military-like, you know. You think he would have planned it out, but uh, it was just kind of like haphazard. And the poor dude's car just suffered so much uh, damage in this movie. I think this is the first bit of damage, but um, as we know throughout the movie, which we'll talk about, his car just takes uh, more and more of a beating. Uh, but yeah, anyways, we see the guys, uh, the the kidnappers, show up on the motorcycles, and they pick up. I think I think they ended up picking up the dirty undies and whatnot. So the dude's freaking out. He's like, man, they're going to kill her, man. They're going to kill her, man. And all, all Walter can think about, he's like, screw it, dude. Let's go bowling. So they go bo- they go back to bowling and whatnot. He keeps getting uh, phone calls on his uh, a portable phone, but he doesn't want to answer it. Um, and so the I don't know why, but they decided to leave the briefcase with the million dollars inside of the dude's car. Weird. Yeah. So after they're done bowling, they go... Uh, they go back out to the dude's car, and they find that it's missing. Uh, they, it was parked in a handicapped spot, right? Yep. Yeah, so they thought it might have been towed. Or no, they were thinking it might have been towed, but then the, the dude's certain that it got stolen. Uh, so the, now they're freaking out because then the million dollars is missing. It's this whole big mess. The dude didn't want anything to do with any of this. I think that's like the one big like through thing. It's just like the dude just wants to do what the dude does and he did you know he doesn't want any part of this but he got dragged through it um i think that's what's funny and then the coen brothers had been noted as saying like the plot really doesn't matter it's just really about the dude you know having to go through all this craziness and whatnot i feel bad for him did you feel bad for the dude yeah i felt really 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 bad (laughs) yeah but unfortunately uh this is what makes the movie tick man uh, so yeah, so his car is missing. Uh, he actually files a police report, uh, you know, telling him that his his car has been stolen. Uh, they ask him what's in there. Of course, he doesn't want to say that there's a million dollars in a briefcase, uh, but he mentions that um, there is a briefcase in there. And they're like, he's like, what's in there? Or the police are like, what's in the briefcase? And he's like, oh, papers, my business papers. He's like, they're like, what do you do? He's like, well, I don't have a job, <laughs> so they're a bit confused. And then he tells them that there's a tape deck in there and. His credence tapes are in there, uh, but they don't—they don't, they don't uh, have much of a hope of recovering anything. Um, you know, usually people 
steal the cars for what's inside and whatnot. So they're like, if we do recover it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold out any hope that your tape deck is there or the credence tapes. And then, uh, while he's talking to the police, the dude also happens to mention that his rug was stolen. And then they're like, you know, what, what was your rug in your car? And then he mentioned that it's like a separate incident, right? Um, it had nothing to do with, uh, the car itself. Uh, but then it just so happens that, uh, who calls him? Maud Lebowski. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maud, Maud calls, uh, saying that she's the one who stole the rug and this is where you can find me. And so, uh, the police are like, well, we got one mystery solved. Uh, so that's when we, we meet Maud, an eccentric artist. Um, we see her hanging naked from a, uh, weird, crazy contraption, like painting, uh, on a canvas, splashing paint, you know, typical like avant-garde artist bullcrap. Um, and then she uh, has a conversation with the dude uh, regarding her dad. It turns out that uh, Mr. Lebowski, uh, all his money comes from uh, b- um, the mom of Maude Lebowski. And that um, she, you know, basically, um, you know, she left all the money uh, to this foundation, which the, you know, Mr. Lebowski oversees with the daughter. And that uh, all of his wealth uh, is just from the mom. So that's a, that's a bit of a revelation, a revelation, a revelation. What the hell is that? Uh, what do you think about that? So it's so basically he's a fraud. Yeah. You know, the movie took some twists and turns. I'm like, where's his heading with? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Uh, so that was a bit of an interesting thing. Cause he seems so mighty, you know, and so sure of himself and, you know, he, he looked down on so many other people, but it turns out that he's not even really wealthy. Like all those wealth comes from, from his, uh, you know, wife who had passed away since, uh, I forget what happened to the, the, you know, to, uh, Maud's mother, but, um, she's, you know, no longer alive. And so, um, so all the money, all the wealth is, you know, it comes from her. Um, and so Maud suspects some foul play going on thinking that, uh, you know, she's also thinking that the, the kidnapping thing is a bunch of bull crap and that, um, she believes that uh, the dad is embezzling that million dollars that was supposed to go to this fake ransom. And uh, so she informs the dude of that, which makes sense to the dude because he always has his suspicions anyway. And so she's saying that uh, she's going to offer the, uh, you know, the dude a reward for recovering the million dollars. But of course, as we know, uh, the car that had the million dollars in the briefcase got stolen. And of course, you know, it's like, I don't think he has much of a hope that he can find uh, you know, the briefcase and whatnot. Then after the dude's visit with Maud, um, you know, he's being driven home in a limo. Uh, and then he notices like a blue, uh, VW bug following him. So he's like weirded out. He's very paranoid after everything that's been going on. There's lots of crazy stuff and whatnot. Uh, later we'll find out, uh, the owner of that VW bug, but, uh, for now it remains a mystery. Uh, then all of a sudden, uh, the dude, he gets pulled into another limo containing Mr. Lebowski and Brant. Uh, you know, they're expressing their, their concern because, you know, they know that uh, Lebowski didn't or that the dude uh, didn't drop off the money as instructed. And apparently things are escalating. He reveals that uh, the kidnappers have sent uh, Bunny's toe in the mail. So uh, he opens up a yellow like manila folder or like a little uh, manila envelope that contains what supposedly is uh, Bunny's toe. And earlier we um, when we first saw Bunny. Uh, they made a, a point to show her feet and you can see that she was painting her toes with a uh, green nail polish. And we see the toe has that same green nail polish. So is it bunny's toe? We don't know, but, uh, it appears so. 
And so now it appears that things are getting real and uh, the dude shows some concern. He's talking to Walter about it later, uh, worried that Bunny's in real danger. But the, the Walter, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> he doesn't care. He thinks that they're bullshitting. He's like, if you look, I can I can even get you a toe. You want a toe? I can get you a toe. Uh, but the dude, he uh, he's he's pretty concerned at this point. Um, you know, he he thinks that um, maybe he was wrong about Bunny kidnapping herself. And then uh, eventually later at the dude's house, he's just relaxing in his bathtub, uh, smoking and whatnot. And all of a sudden, uh, some more people break into his house. Man, he can't catch a break. He's always having people just show up and break into his house. Uh, but this time it's the nihilists, the ones who supposedly kidnapped Bunny. And uh, they're looking for their money and so decide to torture him with a, what does he call it? It's like some kind of weird like animal, right? Um, marmot? Or? He calls it a marmot, but it looks like a ferret. So I'm assuming it's just like a ferret. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't know and technical animal terms, but they bring a freaking ferret. Uh, they drop it into the bathtub. It's like attacking him and whatnot. He's freaking, he's, the dude's freaking out. And uh, basically they're threatening uh, the dude saying that if, you, if they don't see the money, uh, they're basically going to cut off his junk. <laughs> so the dude just like, he's, he's concerned at this point that uh, it's escalating to the point where he's in danger now. Not only is Bunny in danger, but then the dude is in danger of losing his peep. Yeah, so it's not looking good. And then uh, finally the day after, uh, he finally gets a call about his missing car. Uh, so he goes to check it out. Uh, much to his chagrin, it's it's pretty badly damaged. Uh, apparently, whoever stole it uh, crashed it into uh, a retaining wall. The whole driver's side is crumpled in. He can't even open the door on that side. And uh, he gets in the passenger side and he's greeted to the most foulest of uh, realities. What, what happens when he gets inside of his car? There is a unpleasant and very pungent smell. <laughs> yes. Uh, what did uh, what what did the police officer say happened? To uh, his there car? was a vagrant, and, and <laughs> of course there was some unspeakable acts to the car. Unspeakable acts. You make it sound like the the vagrant had sex with his car. No, he he just merely used it as a toilet, <laughs> which is bad. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, the, 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 it smells like human waste in there. Disgusting, and uh, you know his car's pretty jacked up. But his credence tape, tapes, and his uh, his uh, you know stereo system are all intact, so there's no worries there. But of course, uh, the briefcase with a million dollars is missing, um, which is no bueno. Uh, so he inquires with the police officer about the possibility of there being any leads. Of course, he's wanting the money back, but uh, the the police officer laughs it off. Of course, they got you know much more important things to tend to than a, a stolen car case. Uh, so, uh, you know, so there's no hope there of, of recovering the car. Uh, but the poor dude's car, like I said, it, it incurs more and more damage uh, throughout the movie. And this is just proof of it right here. So it's pretty badly damaged. But luckily, it's still drivable. He drives it away. Um, so eventually, the dude, and he goes to the bowling alley with the guys. And he's telling him about his worries and whatnot. He's, he's more concerned that this is just escalating out of hand. Uh, you know, he's talking to them about how the nihilist showed up and, and threatened him with cutting off his junk and whatnot and how, you know, he believes Bunny's still in danger. And then, of course, you know, Walter, didn't, he's not giving much of a care uh, about the whole situation. So the dude, he's he's he's, uh, he's kind of upset that the guys don't really give a crap about what's going on. Uh, so he's sitting at the bar and he mentions to the bartender, he's like, hey, with uh, with friends like these, right? 
And then uh, later on, we see uh, the legendary Sam Elliott playing the stranger. Up until this point, he's just been like the narrator of the movie. Uh, but we get to see him in person, and he's there to give uh, the dude some advice and whatnot. He's, he's talking with the dude for a little bit. Uh, I wonder what this this character is. I wonder who he is or what uh, where he came from. What do you think? Who do you, who do you think the stranger is? I have an idea, but uh, he could be the uh, dude's figment of his imagination. Maybe. That'd be interesting. I know, I know. There was like a rumor, or like a fan theory, that Donnie is a figment of uh, Walter's imagination. But of course, we see, we see, uh, you know, Donnie interact with the dude uh, at some point in the movie. So that's that theory doesn't really pan out. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe the uh, maybe the stranger is a figment of the dude's imagination because we, you know, he just kind of appears out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, he's sitting uh, next to the dude, and then he just disappears and that's the last we see of him we still hear him like kind of narrating once in a while but uh interesting character i wonder i wonder what this means what does this all mean uh but anyway uh after his conversation with the stranger um uh the dude he gets a call from mod lebowski earlier in the movie because uh, uh after they knocked him out uh you know he um the mod offered uh the dude a chance to see this doctor that she knows and said that you know, he wouldn't be charged um, you know, he was assuming it was about, you know, getting, you know, beaten up and, uh, you know, until unconscious and whatnot. Uh, and so Maude calls him up inquiring if he'd been to the doctor at all. And he's like, no, I haven't. So she, she kind of presses, you know, him to go see the doctor. Uh, later on, he meets with Maude and he's still showing concerns that the bunny is in danger and whatnot. But, uh, you know, she's still adamant that you know, there's something else going on uh, beyond this ruse of a kidnapping and whatnot that. She thinks that it's it's not real, um, and then he mentions how uh, one of the kidnappers, uh, you know, had you know known uh, Bunny, and so she's like, yeah, that does seem sketch because like, you know, usually kidnappers aren't people that you know. It's like you like if you're looking for a ransom and whatnot, you don't want to kidnap somebody that can identify you and what you know as the kidnapper. So it's not adding up. She's she's suspicious. The, the dude's still worried though. Uh, eventually the dude sees the doctor and, uh, he's kind of confused cause like he's, he's, he thinks he's there to get his head examined. Um, but eventually the, the doctor, um, has him drop his pants. So he's confused about what's going on, but later we'll find out what, what that's all about. Uh, Maude has some other ideas about, uh, <laughs> what she wants with the dude and, uh, you know, she has some plans for the future, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit. Um, but yeah, after he goes and visits the doctor, uh, the dude, you know, he's driving in his car and whatnot. He sees that pesky VW bug following him again. So he's suspicious. He tries to lose him, but he's, he's still there. And eventually, um, the dude, he's like smoking pot at the time. He tries flicking the, the, the roach out the window and it bounces off the window and it ends up burning his crotch and whatnot. He's swerving. Is he drinking? Is he drinking and driving? What is he holding? Is that, is that like a a soda? It must be a beer. I don't know. That's kind of sketchy. He shouldn't be drinking and driving. He shouldn't even be smoking and driving. But listen, we're not we're not to get too off topic here. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he burns his crotch on the roach, and then he tries to pour out the, his drink, uh, to, you know, to put it out. He ends up crashing into like a I think a, like a road sign or something like that. Um, and of course, his car gets damaged even further, and uh, uh, there's no sight of the VW bug anymore. But uh, uh, in the in the uh, in all the hecticness, he ends up discovering a piece of paper wedged in his car seat. What does he find? Uh, some kind of stuff. You know what he finds in his car? 
The Credence tape? No. <laughs> Remember, he finds a piece of paperwork in his in his seat. Oh yeah, he, uh, the paperwork. What is it? Oh, it's uh, the ransom note. Oh. So after he uh, he's remember he's rummaging he's rummaging around in his car and he sees a piece of uh, paper, uh, in his wedged in a seat. And what what does he find? Larry, uh, Larry Seller's homework. Larry Seller's homework. Yeah. So he finds uh, he finds homework, which is a clue to the person that stole his car. It turns out some kid uh, named Larry Sellers, who, uh, like an idiot, left his homework in the car, which is actually uh, something that happened in real life um, with the Coen brothers got inspiration and, uh, from and put it into um, the movie. It didn't happen to them. It happened to a friend of theirs. But uh, they actually, that's actually something that happened in real life. Uh, but we'll, 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 um, we'll go into more detail about that later. But, uh, yes, yeah, so the dude finds homework from a kid named Larry Sellers, and this is their clue to getting the money back uh, so he brings it up later to walter and donnie uh later we see them at the performance of their uh land or the dude's landlord uh doing some weird ass like uh, artistic dance and a weird uh, leotard thing he's like in a flesh color like bodysuit right <laughs> yeah it's uh pretty pretty weird yeah and he's like covered in like grape leaves or some shit i don't know what the heck's going on but uh they're nice enough to attend his weird avant-garde new dance uh definitely not someone who should be wearing a a, a tight leotard like that but oh uh, well i mean they're, they're there to be nice you know and anyway so after that uh they discover that uh, larry sellers um they discover his address and uh, as donnie points out he lives near an in and out so he's interested in getting some burgers afterward uh so they go to visit this Larry Sellers to see if they can find the cash. Uh, much to their dismay, they pull up and see a was that a, what kind of car was in the driveway? It was a Ferrari. You see a Ferrari parked nearby. It wasn't in the driveway, but it was like parked on the street next to the house. Uh, so uh, they immediately assume that Larry Sellers had purchased that Ferrari with the million dollars, and the dude is worried that he spent all the money. He's like, no, the dude, listen, the, the car can't cost a million dollars, so he's got to have a good portion of that money still there. Uh, so we'll, you know, basically they're going to try and get whatever they can out of him that's left over, and and uh, so they show up to interrogate him. His mom, I think, his mom shows up or some. Um, and one thing about Larry Sellers, they find out that his, that I think Walter finds out that his dad is like, um, like some famous writer of a TV show that that he knows of. So uh, when they get there, they see that uh, that the Larry Sellers' dad is is like in some kind of iron lung contraption, um, and then he asks the wife like if he still writes and she, and she's like, no, he's, uh, he's sick. And, and so he's like, he's like talking to him like, Hey, you know, you're an inspiration. You're one of my favorite writers. I love the show. Um, and then finally Larry shows up. The mom's like, oh, the cops are here to see you. He's like, no, I don't want to give the impression that we're police, but, uh, hope, hopefully we don't have to bling, bring bling. We don't have to bring the police into this. Uh, he, he tries to confront him about stealing the money and shows him the homework and whatnot letting him know that they know that he stole the car and that they want the money back. But Larry is stone-faced. It's almost like he doesn't understand what they're saying or something, but he just totally stone-faced. He's not saying one word. And then eventually, eventually, Walter gets pissed. And so what does he do? He smashes the Ferrari. Yeah, he takes a freaking uh, a crowbar out of uh, the dude's uh, trunk and starts smashing up the Ferrari. And what does he say to poor Larry Sellers? This is what happens, Larry. 
This is what happens, learn when you fuck a stranger in the ass. <laughs> he goes in this classic Walter, uh, you know, beast mode, and he starts tra- trashing this this Ferrari. But much, much to his surprise, uh, a slovenly neighbor comes running out in his uh, his nightwear, <laughs> uh, frantic, saying, "That's my car! I just bought that car! It's not Larry Seller's car. It was the neighbor's car." And uh, the guy's pissed, rightfully so, and then he decides he takes the uh, crowbar from Walter and starts smashing up the dude's car again for the billionth time in this movie. The dude's car takes takes a beating, and he starts smashing up the windshield and the back the back window and whatnot. He just totally trashes the dude's car again, and uh, they drive off after the whole incident. You can see they 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 eventually stopped for In and Out. They're just noshing on some burgers and whatnot, and. Uh, it's just awful. The poor dude, man, cannot catch a break. So after that whole ordeal, uh, the dude goes home again, and this time he, uh, he, you know, he, he he's so paranoid about people breaking in because it's happened several times now. Uh, he nails a piece of wood to his door, and then he braces, or not to his door, but to the floor in front of his door, and he braces a chair between it so that way if someone tries to break in again. That way, you know, he'll have some sort of protection. But I guess, I think, I guess he forgets that the door opens the opposite direction. And then so those two guys um, that showed up and trashed his place at the beginning of the movie show up uh, saying that uh, Jackie Treehorn needs to see him. So uh, he ends up going to Jackie Treehorn's mansion. Now, Jackie, Jackie Treehorn, I don't think I mentioned before, uh, he's a producer. He he makes porno films and whatnot. And so that's how he knows Bunny. Bunny's been in those films. And... Um, I guess she owes him a lot of money. So he's been looking for Bunny. He thinks the dude might know where Bunny is. Uh, but the dude keeps saying that. I have no idea. I thought you knew where Bunny is. And um, he mentions the kidnapping. But uh, even Jackie Treehorn believes that uh, Bunny's uh, kidnapping is a bunch of baloney. Uh, saying that she probably just faked it so that way she can get away from owing him the money and whatnot. Uh, the dude doubles down saying that you know he knows nothing about where Bunny is. And eventually, um, uh, you know, Jackie Treehorn offers him a drink. He, of course, the dude's favorite drink is white Russians. Um, and as he's drinking, he starts getting dizzy and whatnot. Turns out his drinks, uh, you know, were spiked with something and it knocked him out. Eventually he wakes up in the custody of, uh, of the police, but, uh, not before he has this crazy dream sequence where, uh, him and Maude Lebowski are in some big production. It's crazy. She's wearing like some kind of weird, um, almost like an operatic outfit with like the horns and everything like that. Her breastplate looks like bowling balls. It's pretty funny. And it's, it's like this whole dance number uh, to a great song. Uh, it's uh, What Condition My Condition Is In um, by Kenny Rogers. It's, it's a great, great song. Uh, I love the whole sequence. It's so it's, uh, All the dream sequences are so freaking uh, creative in this. Uh, there's like a whole chorus line of, of women like wearing like bowling pin headdresses and whatnot. And he, uh, I don't know, he's just like floating around like he's the bowling ball and down the bowling alley. And it's just, it's so crazy. And then the, the, the dream sequence ends with him uh, being chased by the nihilists um, who supposedly kidnapped Bunny uh, with big, they're wearing like these weird like red, um, what do you call it? Uh, it's like jumpsuits, I guess, or like morph suits with a face cut out and they have big scissors uh, because he's worried about them cutting off his junk. And of course, the the lead, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the, one, the lead nihilist, the one that knows Bunny, uh, is played by the great Peter Stromer, who is, of course, um, one of the uh, 
what are the main uh, antagonists uh, in, in Fargo? Fargo. <laughs> yeah, along with the the great Steve Buscemi. Uh, but yeah, he's he's chasing after the dude with a big big pair of scissors, as as they all are. Um, but then he wakes up in the custody of the police, and uh, I believe in Malibu police, right? Yep. And uh, those angry policemen are so angry. Yeah, the angry like, you know, uh, just uncalled for. Yeah, the angry chief of police um, believes uh, the story that uh, Jackie Treehorn fed them, which was that uh, the dude was acting belligerent and drunk at his party, and so he had him kicked out. And um, Basically, the chief of police was saying, you need to stay out, stay out of our town. You know, we have a lovely, you know, community here and you're basically trash. And, you know, he's banning him from Malibu. And so uh, at one point, the dude's talking back to him and the freaking police officer throws a a coffee mug at him, hitting him in the head and whatnot. Uh, He gets uh, eventually he gets a cab ride home, Uh, but he can't he can't even catch a break with that. He's wanting the cab driver to change the music because it's the Eagles and he hates the Eagles. And then the, the guy gets pissed uh, that he wants him. He keep, he's adamant about him wanting to change the music. And so uh, he throws him out of his cab. And then uh, later we see a, a red Ferrari speeding by. And who is it? It's not Larry Sellers, but who is, who is driving by bunny bunny. So she's not kidnapped. And uh, they cleverly pan, uh, you know, to the, uh, the area where like the gas pedal is so we can see her toes and lo and behold, she's not missing any toes. So the whole story was baloney. Like we thought or like, uh, you know, like they initially thought, uh, but who's missing a toe. We don't know yet. Uh, but bunny safe and sound driving home. Apparently, uh, she just went and took off without telling anybody, uh, on a trip with her friends. Uh, she's singing Viva Las Vegas at the top of her lungs while driving by, at what seems like a hundred miles an hour, uh, so we know Bunny now is alive. And later on, we see the nihilists uh, sitting at a table at a at a diner, eating flapjacks and whatnot. Which is funny because uh, I don't know if this was intentional, but a lot of people say it's a reference to Fargo when Peter Stromer's character, who plays one of the nihilists, uh, his character in Fargo wanted to go get some flapjacks, which he never got to do. So they're saying that now his his character gets to eat some flapjacks um and then we, they pan over to one of the, the female in the nihilist group and then she's missing the toe so the, it was a nihilist's um you know girlfriend who cut off her toe in hopes of getting a million a million dollars or whatnot so things are being revealed new stuff has come to light yes later on the dude uh, gets back home and he accidentally trips on the on the piece of wood that he pl- they put down to keep people out of his house uh and he finds his whole place is trashed uh, apparently uh the whole incident with Jackie Treehorn was so that way uh he can keep him away uh so that way they can rummage through his house to see if he was lying and see, to see if they could find the million dollars but of course um they found nothing uh but what he did find there the dude found Maud Lebowski waiting for him apparently um she was waiting there to have sex with him and that was her plan all along. Apparently, later on, we find out uh, that she was trying to conceive a child. Um, that was the reason why uh, she was so adamant that she see the doctor um, that she recommended. Uh, and that's why he inspected his nether region. Or not she, but that's why the doctor inspected the dude's nether region. Because I guess he was seeing uh, if he was viable in that area. And uh, now we know um, 
It was revealed that Maude was wanting a child. The dude spits up his drink that he's drinking, worried that now he's going to have to take care of this kid. But uh, she reassures him that, uh, you know, she wants nothing uh, out of him. Uh, you know, she's not looking for a partner or, you know, someone to take care of the kid. She, you know, she, she's going to take care of it on her own. She was just looking basically for someone to have a child with. And uh, that apparently was the dude for some reason. Um, so after all that, um, as he's talking with uh, Maude Lebowski and everything, uh, he, he comes to a revelation. The dude realizes what's really been going on. And he, he he's thinking that there may have been no money in that briefcase whatsoever. Uh, so with this revelation, he decides to get some help from Walter. Uh, he wants to go confront Mr. Lebowski. So he calls up Walter. He's not answering at first. Why? What does he celebrate on Saturdays? Shabbos. Yes. You know, he still follows the Jewish faith. And so he can't conduct any business. Like earlier, he was talking about how he wanted to change the date of uh, the bowling tournament because it fell on Shabbos. And he said, you know, he doesn't roll on Shabbos. And so um, he's not answering the phone, but the, the dude's adamant that it's an emergency. And uh, he doesn't want to come out because he's not supposed to conduct business. He can't drive his car, but uh, he threatens to leave the bowling league. So that gets Walter over there. Um, you know, you know how important bowling is to them, you know. Uh, so anyway, Walter shows up. But uh, before he gets in the car with Walter, uh, he sees that blue VW bug that's been following him. So he decides to confront whoever is inside. Uh, we find out it's a man named Dufino. Uh He's a private investigator played by... John Polito. Yes, as we know, he was in The Rocketeer, which we talked about our last episode. You can check that out on our channel. Uh, he played Bigelow in The Rocketeer, but here he's playing Dufino. Uh, apparently, he was sent by uh, Bunny's parents, whose actual name is Fawn Knutson. And, uh, you know, she left uh, home, and then they've been looking for her. She's actually from um, uh, the Midwest or something like that. They're, her family owns a farm and um, they uh, in Minnesota. And uh, they had been looking for her. So that's what that's all about. Uh, so the dude confronts him, says to stay away, get, uh, stay away from his business and whatnot. He goes with Walter and he starts to disclose his theory about what's been going on. Because he's saying, like, well, you know, what, if, if there was really a million dollars in that briefcase, uh, why didn't, uh, you know, Lebowski, Mr. Lebowski, come after him demanding his money back? He never inquired about the money. Uh, he only kept mentioning about Bunny and how she was going to die and whatnot. Um, so he's thinking that uh, there was no money in that briefcase whatsoever, that he intended on having Bunny die, and he was going to um, blame the missing money, which he embezzled from the Lebowski Foundation, which was really from his wife's, you know, which really belonged to his wife, uh, that she set aside to help out, um, you know, kids with their education and whatnot. Or I forget exactly what the foundation did, but... Um, you know, he's thinking that he's going to blame that money missing on um, the dude who he, he happened to encounter because of the whole rug situation, um, which was a whole nother situation, uh, you know, aside from what from, you know, what's been going on. Um, so he decided to use him as a pawn, basically, because he was a slacker and he saw him as no good and whatnot. So, you know, he was going to blame the missing million dollars on the dude because uh, it's easy. They could easily surmise that he stole the money. And whatnot. So they go to confront uh, Mr. Lebowski about it. Um, and then um, he's acting all smug. So I'm implying that, that they were correct about their theory uh, because he, he's basically saying, like, oh, they'll never believe you and whatnot. And <laughs> there's a funny scene where Walter is adamant about uh, adding on another uh, layer to the theory that uh, Mr. Lebowski isn't even a cripple, 
because uh, he, you know, throughout the movie, he's in a, he's in a wheelchair, and so Walter is adamant that hey, I bet this guy is not even a cripple at all. So he goes to pick him up, and then he drops him on the floor. It turns out he actually is crippled, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so they were wrong about that, but it seems that they were right about the theory all along. Actually, when they go to show up at Mr. Lebowski's house, who do we see? Who do we see there? Do we see Brant? Brant and uh, who's who's jumping in the pool? Uh, Bunny. Yeah, turns out she showed up, and he's claiming that oh, you know, uh, you know, she she just drove off without telling us. We didn't know where she was at and whatnot. Uh, we see her her red Ferrari crashed. Uh, you know, and at the uh, Lebowski mansion, uh, she's stripping and jumping in the pool and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, they put two and two together and, and realized that uh, he was just trying to use the dude as a pawn to embezzle some money. So later on, we see the guys back at the bowling alley just talking about everything that's been going on. Uh, and then eventually, uh, as they're leaving the bowling alley, uh, they're confronted by the nihilists once again. And then in the final act of aggression against the dude's car we see that the dude's car is on fire <laughs> they set fire to the dude's car and then he exclaimed man they did they finally killed my car man uh so his poor car is finally seen it's uh let me start over so then later on after the confrontation with uh, mr lebowski uh, we see the guys bowling again they're talking about everything that's been going on we see donnie he rolls uh, normally he's been getting strikes but uh we see that he uh, he doesn't get a strike this ro- this role, and uh, that that let people think it foreshadows something sinister that's about to happen. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional or not. But it's kind of interesting. Uh, so eventually, by the time the guys leave the bowling alley, they go outside, and what do they see in a burning heap outside? The car. The dude's car. It's been finally done in. He, he, I think the dude mentions that he's like, they finally did it, man. They killed my car. Uh, it's suffered abuse this whole movie, and finally his car is dead now. It's sitting in flames, uh, caused by who? None other, none other than who? The nihilists. Uh, bum, bum. They show up in a final confrontation, still claiming uh, that if they don't get their money, then Bunny's going to be dead. But then um, what they don't realize is that they know that they don't have Bunny. Uh, it turns out that they, uh, I guess they were propositioned, uh, with the hopes of gaining a million dollars to to pretend like they had Bunny kidnapped. Uh, but they reveal that they know what's been going on. And so um, the Nihilists just decide to settle uh, for whatever they have in, the guys have in their pockets because they want some money and they're going to get it somehow. So they decided to get in a fight with the guys. Um, I think uh, one of the guys pulls out like a sword or something, right? They go to attack him. Well, Walter and his quick thinking, his military skills, he throws a bowling ball at one of the guy's stomachs. And then he beats him with like a radio or something like that. And then uh, he bites off of some guy's ears like so much uh, Iron Mike Tyson. <laughs> and he spits it up in the air in an epic show of dominance. <laughs> uh, that was great. What do you think about that scene? That was awesome yeah. and disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, later on after the fight, after they've been bested, we see poor Donnie uh, crumpled up in the corner as... Um, as Walter exclaims to uh, you know to the dude to call an ambulance, uh, the dude thinks he's been shot, but he's like, no. The, the Walter's like, there's been no gunfire. He's having a heart attack, and uh, fortunately, poor Donnie, who's been crapped on this whole movie, he's had a heart attack and he passes away. Uh, and one of the funniest scenes, though, uh, it's, it's dark humor, but uh, we see them uh, picking up Donnie's ashes uh, at the funeral home, and then they say that uh, they have to pay for a. Uh, 
uh, some sort of vessel to take them home in because they can't, you know, they obviously they can't just take the ashes home without any kind of vessel. And they're trying to charge them up the butt for a uh, for some kind of urn and whatnot. And uh, so a, a pissed Walter, uh, he goes, he has. Uh, where, where does he say that they're gonna go? To Ralph's. Oh yeah, they're gonna go to Ralph's. And then they, they end up picking up a Folgers can uh, to put Donnie's ashes in. And uh, they do a, like a little ceremony on the on the cliffside near the waters where Donnie used to love to surf and whatnot. And uh, <laughs> I, love the, I love his speech. I, I, I wish I knew it verbatim, but uh, do you know some of the, the speech that... Uh, that in uh, your wisdom, well, Lord, you took... Um, as you took so many flowering <laughs> men... And it's like you're talking about Vietnam. He's, yeah, and then and then and then freaking uh, he opens up the can and tries to uh, disperse the ashes in the ocean, but it blows back onto the dude's face, and he stands there bewildered. And he starts the dude starts cursing out Walter. He's like, "Everything's a travesty with you, man." He's like, "What's all that crap about Vietnam? You always got to bring Vietnam into everything." He's totally pissed, <laughs> and Walter takes it in stride. He doesn't yell at him back, uh, but yeah. That, that was such a hilarious scene, and uh, it's, what's what's even funnier is that when uh, when John Goodman got a star on the Walk of Fame, uh, Jeff Bridges showed up as the dude, and he did a kind of he paraphrased uh, that whole Donnie funeral scene uh, into a speech about John Goodman. <laughs> it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. You, you got to check that out. Uh, have you seen that? Oh yeah, it was it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hilarious. I, I, I love that. Those guys are funny as heck. Um, so overall, what would you rate the Big Lebowski? I would rate it a ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. I, I can't really argue with you on that one. Like normally, uh, you've given you've given some suspect movies a ten out of ten, where I'm like that does not deserve a ten out of ten. But I would say that that's it, it definitely deserves high marks. So I, I will I will not dispute your ten out of ten. I, I would definitely give it. Um, an eight and a half out of ten. No movie's perfect, but this is this is pretty damn solid movie. Uh, I think it grows on me. Even every, you know, more and more when I watch it, uh, there's always something new that I'm discovering about it. Some new nuance to the story. Uh, it definitely gets better with age. Uh, a lot of memorable quotes. A lot of funny uh, characters. Great actors. Uh, it's so it's such a great movie. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, I'm sorry I spoiled the movie for you, but you need to go check it out. It's been out for 25 years now, so you got to check that out, man. Um, we're planning on doing a a big Lebowski a big Lebowski costume for Halloween this year. So we'll, when whenever we do our Halloween episode, you can check that out. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, but definitely definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Fun to talk about that. Uh, but this brings a wrap uh, to. This episode of Men Who Watch Movies. My name is Alec. And my name's DJ the Movie Man Wagner, also known as the COE of the Men Who Watch Movies. And we hope you join us again. We have some more great stuff in store. Uh, we want to do some more stuff in the future, different kinds of videos, maybe uh, doing some like movie trivia videos where we try and uh, we try and answer some trivia questions. Um, I want to do some more, um, you know, trailer reaction videos hopefully in the near future you can check that out on youtube um and of course we have our podcast available here on youtube on on spotify 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can watch it. You can listen to it as an audio podcast. It's up to you how you want to consume this. And of course, I have my podcast yes. called Movie Man Behind the Scenes. Yes, so I'll, I'll include a link to that. Uh, subscribe uh, to the channel. Yeah. Click for more content. Because uh, I really need a lot of views. <laughs> yes. You love those views. You like that yep. vanity. Uh, but yeah, no, it's always fun. And we always thank you for watching, taking time out of your day uh, to check out our little podcast. So uh, thank you once again. And we hope that you all keep on watching. watching. <laughs> I hope this video goes viral. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody.